This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 110 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest today is Tanya Janka. She's a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft, where she specializes in application security. She's a popular speaker at security conferences around the world, evangelizing software security and advocating for developers. And she's a leader in the Open Web Application Security Project community, that's OWASP, as well as an advocate and mentor for underrepresented communities in the security industry. She discusses her journey from software developer to security practitioner, how security is everybody's job, and why that makes strong communication between teams so important, and the need for diversity in the IT industry today. Stay with us. I have been coding since, I guess, I was 16. And very quickly, I started in IT and decided I wanted to be a software developer forever. Um, And then after around 16 years of of basically mostly doing software development, but with little stints as sysadmin or network admin or things like that, I ended up meeting an ethical hacker who kept telling me, you really need to join security. You'd be really good. And I said, no, there's nothing better than software development. And I just never wanted to do anything else ever. Like (laughs) the exact job description is you make something out of nothing every day. And all you do is just like sit at your desk and just like crunch problems with your brain. I'm like, this is the best. And he's like, no, hacking's even better. So he Hmm. kept like coming into my office and like doing little presentations for us because I ran this lunch and learn. And then unbeknownst to me, he introduced me to someone else who introduced me to someone else. And I ended up inviting basically almost every single ethical hacker in Ottawa to come to my to speak to my little like 12 person dev team. And they all told me later, they're like, you're just so excited about it. It was just it was so fun to go in. And a lot of them usually charge money. But they're like, you're just so excited. It was just so cute how like enthusiastic (laughs) you were. So then I joined OWASP and started being one of the chapter leaders. And then I was his apprentice. Then I moved kind of on from him to more advanced mentors. And then I'm actually now moving on again to even new mentors. Um, One of my new mentors hacks blockchains. And I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, what what is OWASP for folks who might not be familiar with it? Oh my gosh, besides it being my favorite thing, it's the Open Web Application Security Project. It is an international community with, I think, around 275 chapters around the world. We have meetups. All of them are free. And we just teach about security. We uh, In Ottawa this week, we're having our Capture the Flag contest that we have once a year. And we also have projects. Uh, so I have a, an OWASP project. And then we have uh, conferences around the world to just all with the goal of trying to teach people how to make more secure software. And since that's my favorite area, um, they're my favorite people. Now, was it a process of, of being slowly won over or was there a moment when a light bulb went off when you said, oh, yeah, this security side is for me? Well, he did an SQL injection against one of our apps or an app that looked just like one of our apps. <laughs> and um, I said, well, I need to know how you did that. 
And then I need to know how to defend against that. Mm. And then I sort of got put in charge of all the security things and kind of became the developer. Unbeknownst to me, I, I guess I became the security champion. And then I moved on from there and um, I led this giant effort to like rewrite uh, all the software that runs the Canadian elections. And I not only was kind of leading the software developers, but then I took on the liaison between the security team and we hired a bunch of ethical hackers and code reviewers and all these people to come in. And I was that person that would like make sure everything was fixed and that we were, you know, doing a good job. And then I joined the security team and then I very quickly got promoted to CISO. And I ran all the security for the Canadian election in 2015. And I responded to incidents and did media and like all the things. And I was just like, okay, I'm in now. Like, I, <laughs> you can't get rid of me. <laughs> it sounds like you found your people. Yeah, I just, I feel like it's, it's such noble work, if that makes sense, to protect and help others. And then it's exciting and it's interesting and it's, it's all sorts of completely new problems that I haven't seen before. Yeah, it's... Mm. Take us through, what were some of the specific challenges you faced with the, with the elections? We had security incidents and we were not in the newspaper, so that means they went well. Mm. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell you about the, ob like, the details, obviously. Sure. So one of the things about Elections Canada is that because, uh, I don't know if you know about the Canadian election system, but it's sort of similar to the American election system. So every four years, at a minimum, we have an election. But mm. in, in Canada, if you get, if the prime minister is elected with a, something called a minority government, then that means that there's certain types of votes that happen uh, in our in our parliament. And if they don't win, they get kicked out. And we have to have another election. And it, usually it's like between nine months, a year and a half, maximum two years. They always just get kicked out all the time. So if there's a minority government, they have lots of staff because at any moment there could be an election. But if it's a majority government, everyone loses their job. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so on election night, you know, everything went surprisingly smoothly uh, from a security standpoint, it went perfect. But at 9 p.m., we realized a majority government was coming in. And I looked at my staff and I'm like, we all just lost our jobs. And that's that's hard, right? Because then I had to keep motivating them for a few more weeks while they cleaned right. everything up before they got rid of all of us. And each time they basically have a brand new security team running everything. So they have a completely different CISO now. And I mean, he got to have three and a half years to prepare. So I'm sure he's going to do a great job. But oh my gosh, right? Like imagine just completely obliterating your security team every year or two and starting over every single time it's just it's whoa. is there any opportunity for transition were you able to you know leave leave behind a, a set of notes or, or guidance for the next person um i did because i am um, i'm to say the least i'm anal retentive <laughs> and, and i like obsessively plan the future uh mm. which which in for some like that's why i got elected to or like chosen to be the CISO because I wasn't supposed to be. They just put me in charge for a few weeks and I just transformed everything to my anal retentive way. And they're like, you're it. <laughs> the, like they told me on the third day, apparently they had decided, but they waited till the end of the month to tell me. <laughs> and um, so 
I, I build out like a four-year plan of, <laughs> of actions of how to like mitigate four out of the five types of incidents that we had completely. And then the fifth type, like there's certain things, you know, you can't just say public if you could just stop doing anything wrong ever. Like if no one could attack us, that would be great. So that's like right. unrealistic. But for instance, like they, um, after the election, they allowed me to roll out a formalized AppSec program based on, you know, this is how much our incidents cost. This is how we could have like fixed them. So we did a, you know, a secure coding guideline, which was my first one ever, which quite frankly, now that I know more was pretty crappy and not that great. I'm much better. I, re I released a brand, like a complete new one for free on my blog this month. And it's the fourth one I've written. And I think it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> if you do say so yourself. If I do say so myself, I would tell you, I would tell you that my mom liked it, but honestly, she didn't read it. <laughs> uh, well, that's all right. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and so like, we did a secure coding guideline and we did training and we did like specialized training for every area of IT and for, you know, C-level executives and things like that, because each one of them have different concerns and like meeting with the sysadmins or just even meeting with help desk. They're like, thank God you finally told us what to do. Like now we know like how to handle this. And we, you know, met with lots of different developers and gave them a whole bunch of different training and tools and I remember I was talking to one of my bosses once and I'm like, oh, I got an email. I'll be right back. And then I run over to the developer area and then I high five this guy and then I ran back. And he's like, what the <laughs> hell are you doing? I'm like, he just beat the tool. He just got past the tool with nothing and he gets hmm. a high five. That's the deal. I can't break the deal. <laughs> he's just like, you're so weird, but it's working. Just keep doing it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it sounds like you're a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> I try to just be fun. Um, I try to treat people how I want to be treated. And I was a developer a lot longer than a security person. And honestly, I was on their dev team before I switched to the security team. And I remember like a year before before I joined the team, I, wa like, I am usually very polite, but they had done this thing, which... I won't explain, but it disabled my team drastically. And uh, we were recruiting someone and the person quit before they started because of the changes that they had made that they had not given us a heads up about. And I walked up and I was like, fuck you. <laughs> and they looked at me and I was just like, you did this. You said you were doing this and now you've done that. And it was going to result in an amount of work that was just unfathomable for us. And I'm like, you have made me look awful for my entire team do you know how hard it is like to try to get a team to go up this giant mountain that we're going up and we have this crazy deadline that's not moving and then you just put a giant barrier in front of us and it's just so unacceptable and i just can't believe you went and did that and you didn't even tell me so i could talk with them first and i'm like what you've done is wrong and i am so pissed so don't come over and ask for favors from me and, and then I walked off, but then I was on their team a few months later. They're like, you're the only person that tells us the truth. Hmm. <laughs> They're like, everyone talks behind our back. No one comes up and tells us. And we made up and I'm actually still friends with all of them, but <laughs> I've never gone up and said that to someone in my career. I was like, I can't believe you just didn't have any empathy or think at all. Like, yeah, maybe they all want to come into the office and work all night, every night till the election. Maybe that's cool. It's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But what I mean, there's a certain degree of, uh, well, if nothing else, fearlessness to uh, to make that move. I, I guess uh, it's th that sort of approach wouldn't be for everyone, but it seemed like it worked out for you. 
I don't advise telling people to F off, just for the record. <laughs> like, okay. I really always try hard to, like, only use that word against my computer or in jokes <laughs> or right. so, or songs. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> Very good. Fair enough. I, I want to shift it and talk about uh, a keynote that you gave recently. This was at B-Sides, uh, and you were touching on this notion that security is everybody's job. Uh, can you take us through what were you getting at there? Absolutely. So my keynote at Besides Vancouver is amazing and uh, it's called Security is Everybody's Job. And my boss at um, Canada Revenue Agency a few years ago taught me that she would, she would, her name was Tanya and my name's Tanya. And mm. she would do this like arm pump kind of fist thing. She'd be like, because Tanya, security's everybody's job. And she'd like kind of move her arm in this swing. I'm like, oh, you have me again. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember like telling developers, you know, it's your job to do your job as securely as you know how. Just like, you know, it's your job to lock the door or, um, you know, walk the till if you work somewhere where there's money and like follow the general security rules. It's the same as a developer. It's your job to secure as code, uh, code as securely as you know how to and ask for help when you need it. I know every security team's differently, uh, is different, but it's our job as security people to enable developers and ops folks and the business and everyone else that we serve to do their jobs securely. And if that means, you know, doing a code review or sending them code samples or or whatever, like whatever we can do to support them. Like our job doesn't exist if they don't have their jobs. And if there's no business um, because we got in the way of production code being released and we added a new tool that brought us down for the fifth time without working with other teams and then we lose tons of sales, like we are not enabling. And I think sometimes security people view themselves as a great big gate that everyone has to work really hard to get past or they don't get to go to prod. But it's in our interest to have everyone get to prod in a secure state, because if they don't get to prod, we don't have a business, we go out of business, and then there is no security team. Um, and that's kind of the thesis. And then I explain what DevOps is. I love the DevOps handbook and I love the Phoenix project and Accelerate, that series of books I just can't recommend enough. And so I explain their idea of what DevOps is, which is my idea of what DevOps is. And then I explain how we can weave security through that. So security is everybody's job is how, you know, a couple of things the security team can do, but it's mostly aimed at developers and operations folk. And it's several ideas of what we can fit into the three ways. So, you know, the first way is making sure the entire process is really fast. Well, how can security people make sure we do security, but fast, right? And then the second way is feedback, right? So we wanna make sure we have feedback the whole way through. The reason why a lot of waterfall projects would fail is because, you know, we would work on it a year and then ask, are we on the right track? Hmm. <laughs> but with DevOps, you want feedback regularly, you want the right feedback and you want it as soon as you could possibly get it. So, you know, you don't want to do a threat model after it's released into prod. You'd ideally like to do a threat model during the design phase, right? And and so I talk about, you know, different activities you can do to make sure people get fast feedback. Um, and then the third way is continuous learning. It's like how you can 
to culture change and like different ways and opportunities of when you can teach. There's all sorts of different things that I've learned from really awesome people I've met on my journeys um, about how we could do security better from a learning perspective and different situations where it's good to learn about security. An example is elections. Uh, we had an incident. So after I was the CISO and the election was over, someone else became the CISO for four months while we rested. So they actually rest the staff because there's so much work that goes into the election for so long. They kind of just make you chill out and do not very much for the next few weeks so that people mm. don't burn out. Um, so you do kind of gentle post-mortem like clean up but the idea is is on purpose to try to rest the staff so someone else was manager during that time um and he we had had a an incident and he decided to do a talk for the software developers where he went inside out with this incident and what had happened and at the time i i was i thought it was an awful idea i was like what are you doing airing our dirty laundry but he was so smart <laughs> hmm. <laughs> because all of the so I didn't want to share. I'd rather just teach them the things I want them to know about security and teach them the things we have the most problems with. But there was this one team that never wanted to go to any of the training and was really resistant. And so he held this session and specifically invited them. And he's like, I'm going to show you all the dirty laundry. And afterwards, mm. they said, we're interested now, Tanya. We see how this is a priority. We didn't see before. We actually do all the things he showed us that caused this incident. We had no idea that this could happen. And like, we want to be the solution. And they were like 10,000% on board after that. So it really grounded them. Yes. Yes. And before, um, like, not that they were disrespectful at all. They're just like, Tanya, we have a lot of crap to do and we don't have time for this crap. Right. <laughs> after this, like, it really shocked them. And it was um, like in my opinion, our most scary incident that we had. And we ended up doing like a great job of managing it and everything turned out okay. But, you know, it had the potential to be very bad if we hadn't caught it in time and all of that. And so I was very uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable with him sharing that information, but he did and it was fine. And it did the exact thing he was hoping it would do and he's a smart dude and he taught me a great lesson that day i guess i have a lot of pride uh and i try really hard to like check that the door when i go to work um because i want to be perfect and everyone has their issues and I, it's hard for me to admit like a giant mistake like that but he's taught me that like that's the best time to learn and so right. From then on, I, I try to get managers to agree that we could share information as long as the incident was 100% closed and there was no, you know, we have, you know, no personal information, obviously, and like no sensitive secrets being released, but it like show them like the real things that can happen. And I started using proof of concepts to explain things to developers. So, you know, they don't want to use security headers. Like security headers are, you know, you really need them and here's why. And they're like, we don't have time for your crap, Tanya. And I know, <laughs> and, and it's not like in a disrespectful way, but like they're a developer, they have like 500 things in the backlog and they only have time for 100. Why are they going to choose my thing? Right. And so I, you know, I sent them this email and we click on this link. You want an iPod. And they respond like, Tanya, we, we know this is from you. I'm like, I know, but click on the link <laughs> we have twenty thousand employees and one of them's gonna click on it for sure so they click right. on it and they're like 
wow, that looks just like our website. I'm like, it is. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, you know, this thing where you're stealing the credentials, it, it, it's bright yellow. Anyone would catch on to this. I'm like, it's yellow so you can see it. Usually it's see-through. And then they're like, how do we do these security headers again? Because we need them right. on every page now. <laughs> right. Do I have your attention now? Yeah. And then, boom, next release, security headers. Like, yeah. And they're like, hmm. how can we do it perfectly? How can we make sure we have complete coverage? Like, they were all over it once hmm. they saw. They're like, oh, it's not a big deal because of this. I'm like, no, it is a big deal. And um, it wasn't like, a, you know, I want to rub your nose in it type of thing. I was like, do you see why I'm so worried? And they're like, okay, we see now. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I want to switch gears with you uh, for a little bit and, and to get your take on threat intelligence. That, that's uh, one of the main topics we discuss here. I'm curious, uh, from your point of view, how does it fit into a company's security posture? Well, I don't generally do enterprise security. So I know the regular threat monitoring isn't really uh, the area that people would mostly task me with. Um, mm. but, but uh, when uh, so the Canadian government, just like the American government, just like uh, all of the Five Eyes countries, have a cert, like a cyber, I don't know what it stands for, like response, whatever. And, right. and they send out informational messages. So they, like the government actually has its own threat intelligence that has many sources as well as their own researchers. So we would receive that every day and they'd be like, did you get this? Did you address it yet? Mm. <laughs> Which was really helpful. And I just, like a bunch of AppSec they, they would send AppSec stuff, like, you know, there's this new Struts vulnerability, there, there's this, there's that. We heard you use Struts. What's up? What's your plan? Do you need help? We want this done. And it was really, really helpful. Um, and I don't know how we would have stayed on top of things without it. Uh, another thing, uh, like, in regards to threat intelligence is threat intelligence isn't just a formalized feed that you buy from a company like those are awesome for sure like i don't know what i would have done in the canadian government if i did not have that gc cert threat feed but there's just so much more than that and sometimes you can get it faster by watching twitter than you can from a threat feed and so yeah keep all your yeah. options open well, I, I want to wrap up with you. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, but before we go, I do want to hit on something that I know is uh, is very important to you, and that's uh, being able to uh, recruit folks from a diverse pool of people. Why is that important to you? Oh, it's important to me because I'm part of that group. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been a woman a long time, and, and since I, practically like, your whole life. Yeah, exactly. Like ever since I've been an adult, so the moment I was legal, I started working in IT. Like the moment, <laughs> and so I, I've worked in IT. Um, in August, will make twenty-two years. Hmm. Yeah, and there's been so many silly things in my career, and I'm one of those people. It's like, oh, I guess that person has a problem, or you know, like getting promoted late or knowing that I get paid less than my colleagues, or knowing even once I found out someone who I was their boss and they made more money than me. Hmm. Like these things are a thing that would stop me if that makes sense. I'm like, I'm gonna go smash skulls. But <laughs> I was in uh, hardcore bands and punk rock bands and a lot of other things throughout my life too, which are a lot, a lot more difficult for women to work in. So in IT, I would like take that punk rock attitude in with me. And so I kind of have this 
you know, you want to be inappropriate with me, well, I'm going to times it by five and bring that back to you. If that's what you want, let's do this. I see. But that is not always a great plan. And that I don't think is a, you shouldn't have to be bulletproof to work in IT. Hmm. You shouldn't have to be really, really tough. You should be able to be a sensitive human being. If if we uh, don't adjust the way that IT and specifically like cybersecurity works, we won't benefit from having diverse workforces. So like a lot of women that join STEM don't stay. That's like a a really, really, really big problem. And I've been working uh, on one thing to help with that called WOSEC, Women of Security. Uh, We are an international collective, I guess, or community. So I think we have 19 chapters now. And we just turned one years old uh, last month. And basically, it's just a place where women in security can just make new friends that are women. Because previously, I only had two female friends in security in Ottawa. One was named Donna and one was named Nancy. And I just didn't know a single... And I know a lot of people because I am extremely extroverted. So whether you like it or not, I will go be your friend. (laughs) And so I only know, like, I only knew two women. And I was just like, this sucks. And my friend Donna and I you know, saw this cool thing in another country. And I was like, why don't we try something like that here? So it's just social things or like women only workshops. So it's less intimidating. And then we also go as a group to other events. So we crashed besides Ottawa. We um, had a an event at besides Vancouver at Microsoft build at RSA. And then like we crash like meetups together. So we'll sign up, but you know, if you go and there's 12 women with you, the capture the flight contest isn't so scary anymore. I am used to my entire career being the only woman in the room, every single meeting. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and and, it, and it, it hasn't improved at all. And so I guess it? it, no, actually I'm um, the numbers. In security, so big estimates are that we make up 11% right. uh, in cybersecurity, but that um, in some countries it's as low as 5% of, hmm. of the workforce. But women in computer science um, are between 25 to 30% of graduating classes. And what that means is like women are not staying. So they join and a lot of them leave. And it's like, oh, that sucks. Um, so yeah. if, I'm hoping that if lots of women make friends, that that can help. It can help their careers. Um, but I guess what you asked is like, why? So I haven't really answered your question. So why does diversity and hiring matter? It matters just because we want to be fair and have a just world. But also right. because different, like diversity breeds different ideas, breeds innovation, um, as an example, um, at one security conference I went to, uh, this guy had an incident and he's like, can you help me manage this incident? And I'm like, fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. I- I'm at DEF CON in a hotel room. We're all having beer. And then I'm managing his incident for work because he's the entire IT department. Right. And yeah. I was, and it was an event management system. And you could look anyone up without authenticating by name or email and see all the events that they had attended and where they were going to be. And he's mm. and someone had reported it as a bug. And he's like, it's not a bug. I'm like, it's a privacy and safety issue. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I know you're like this great, big, huge man. So it's unlikely you feel physical danger often. But lots of ladies I know that is completely unacceptable. Like if I knew a system was going to publish 
where I was going to be and anyone, even people that weren't members would be able to look me up. I don't think I would want to go. Now I'm a public figure because I speak at conferences. So obviously if I speak at a conference, you know, I'm going to be on the website, right? That's, right. that's obvious. But you know, if I go to a private event as an attendee, it's no one's business if I'm going to be there or not. Right. And yeah. if I go to a training or something, it's no one's business. I'm like, what if I had an abusive ex who was stalking me? I don't, but imagine it did. Right. Yeah. You would have put that person in extreme danger because it is not clear that people can look you up like that. It's not clear that this is information that you're giving away publicly. I'm like, this is a serious privacy violation that is not clear to the users that they're taking this risk. And that's like, that's an error in your design. He's like, oh, wow, I, I, I didn't really see what the problem was. I was like, you know, the security research is just a jerk giving us trouble. Yeah. And when I explained to him, like, you know, you're potentially putting people in danger. And certainly, like, it's a privacy violation to just be giving people's physical whereabouts away mm -hmm. of where they'll be in advance. Like, right. like, it's just, it's not cool. And so they changed it. And that was great. And he responded to the security researcher. But if they had had a woman, so they were, you know, a small company of 15 people, and there were no women in the entire company, and they're all scratching their heads. They're like, I just don't see the problem, because it's not a thing that affects them. What is your advice uh, for folks who want to do a better job uh, diversifying their team? How, how do you suggest they go at it? Okay, so I am not an expert at this, and I just want to start by saying that. So these are yeah. just personal suggestions. I am not an expert in this. Uh, the, the hardest thing to do is get the first woman to come work for you because I know lots of places. I'm like, how many women work there? Because if the answer is none, then I usually don't want to go. Another thing you can do is offer to host women's meetups. So uh, for instance, WOSEC, we have chapters all over the world. And because I work for Microsoft, they have agreed to host us basically in any city that we want, which is very generous, very generous. And then lots of other really great organizations have offered to host us. But I mean, if a company is really looking to hope to welcome more women, I mean, shot like Shopify and Ottawa, for instance, has been hosting OWASP forever and then recruiting hardcore from our meetup members, right? Like it's been their best investment ever. They let us use like this, this big room, their staff just go wander in right after work. And then they have recruited many, many people from our meetup. So it's like a very good winning relationship, right? Also have a code of conduct and then actually enforce it like I've heard boys will be boys so many times in my mm. career. And I'm like, do boys want to get punched in the face? Like, it's just, <laughs> um, I know that I am much more assertive than the average woman and or person and or Canadian. So the way that I handle things is a lot differently. And I know that the way I do things are options for everyone else. Like I had um, a manager that was trying to hire me to his team approach me after hours and say something very, very inappropriate to me, uh, wanting some kind of sexual favor from me in order to have a promotion. And uh, I don't know how other women would react, but I reacted, uh, I felt threatened and fight or flight, I am fight. So I took a step forward. So I was right in his face and I screamed, get the fuck out of my office. 
Um, and then he like looked at me really startled and then I stood so my face was almost touching his face and I yelled it so loud it filled the whole room and then he left and then I told every man on my programming team what he did and I was like he is so out of line and so when he went to sit for lunch the next day someone's like that seat's taken and they're like we know what you said to her and all the programmers supported me and all like he wasn't allowed in the cafeteria for months and months and all of wow. them gave him the cold shoulder and all of them are like what the f is wrong with you now do i think that works for everyone no do i advise the average person try that crap no <laughs> it's probably not in the hr uh, handbook no no definitely not but i wouldn't i don't know how to explain it but i felt like i won i felt very safe the guy stayed the f away from me great when <laughs> Um, yeah. Like, I mean, could there have been so happier outcomes? Yes, but... Sometimes you have to stick up for yourself. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I guess, like, take complaints seriously. You know, when a woman comes forward, that's scary as crap. I have to say, like, when I came forward at that office, which was, at, you know, towards the beginning of my career, I think I'd already worked in IT eight years, immediately... The team that investigated it so someone was sending me like lewd messages via an anonymous email address but clearly they were in the building mm. um and were harassing me and they're like well what were you wearing like a sweater and jeans mm -hmm. and my manager turned to them and she said it doesn't matter what she's wearing a man is stalking her that's in our building and you are going to figure out who it is so we can fire him understood and they just like kept victim shaming me and then right. they gossiped about it to everyone on the floor which was so humiliating but then that's how we found out he was harassing 10 other people and they knew who he was and he got fired but still uh just having everyone gossip about you sucks and if you come forward usually that happens despite the fact that they've signed ndas and all of those things and so um, when someone comes forward, it is a huge sacrifice on their part. And like, oh my gosh, take them seriously. I hear so many people talk about false accusations. And it's just like, do you understand that that is like a minute, 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 minute number? Right. And that right. it's so scary to come forward. And that so many of us don't come forward because, you know, we don't feel we have enough proof, et cetera, et cetera. And like the punishment, the social punishment that comes with it. And because it's humiliating. It's yeah. totally like me telling the other programmers, like I was so embarrassed that that had happened, but most, but I was like, luckily more pissed off than embarrassed, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like, there's still lots of stigma around those things happening to you. And like, people feel shame for being a victim. And like, there's so many things going around it. So if so like, take it seriously. That's, yeah. I guess my number one thing. Our thanks to Tanya Janka from Microsoft for joining us. You can find her on Twitter. She's SheHacksPurple. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Zane Picorni, executive producer Greg Barrett, 
The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.